Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond Trauma. Jen and I are here in the studio today, and we've got an exciting episode. Um, we're going to talk about something that is always of interest to both clients and other therapists that we talk to. Um, but before we get to that, we want to remind you that we have a Patreon for the podcast where you can access all kinds of other resources um, and interact with us more, get some questions answered if you have them and things like that. Uh, so if you want to check that out, it's at patreon.com slash podcast. And there's a few different uh, price points so you can find the one that fits you best. Um, and we'd love to connect with you there at Patreon. So go check that out. All right, so our episode for today, we are talking about um, this big question that we get a lot of, which is, will I have to talk about my past in therapy? And of course, you're probably assuming, well, yes, of course, you're going to talk about your past. But what people really mean when they ask that question is, how much? Mm -hmm. Uh, In what amount of detail am I going to have to go into this? Um, Because usually that's pretty nerve-wracking for people. For mm-hmm. sure. I think a lot of people will say, why do I even have to talk about mm-hmm. that? I've talked about it before. Right. That's over. It's done. Right. It doesn't bother me struggle, anymore. Right. Yes. The yeah. problem now is that I have anxiety or depression, you know, depression mm-hmm. and that's my problem. So I want to talk about that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, as a beginning to the answer of that question, uh, we want to kind of circle back around to something that we've talked about before, which is the way that we conceptualize every presentation of a mental health struggle is through the lens of understanding that our past shapes are present. And uh, we're going to go more into depth about that today because that's really the answer to this question. Um, And before we talk in detail about that, one of the, in fact, I just had a session this morning where, you know, this was part of what we talked about, which is if I talk about my past and I tell you, therapist, all of the things that I experienced in my family, the mistakes that my parents made. I don't want you to think that I'm blaming my parents for everything, mm-hmm. right? Where uh, a lot of us are very sensitive to this idea of shifting blame and just blaming everything on our parents and not taking responsibility for anything ourselves. And so, so what I say to clients when that comes up is to acknowledge and really speak the truth of what we experienced does not have to then mean that we turn around and say, therefore, I hate my parents right. and I think they're awful human beings. We can, you know, human beings are incredibly complex. We can hold um, both feelings and say, I can acknowledge that my parents did the best they could, but still failed me in some really significant ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while also saying, I still love them in spite of the ways that they struggled as parents. Um, now, that may not be your story. You may not be concerned about hating your parents. You might be totally owning the fact that you do, and any of that is okay. But I think that's one of the, the typical tripping points is that we're worried that it'll damage our current relationship. Or like in the case of the client that I spoke with this morning, her parents are no longer living. 
And so there was this worry about sort of tarnishing their memory to revisit some of those hard things. And all of that is normal. And so one of the things we want to share with you guys is that your therapist is going to be very, very capable and willing to hold space for both of those experiences. On one hand, um, I love my parents. They mean the world to me. And yet together we're going to acknowledge that they struggled and there were some experiences that were very, very damaging. So I wanted to just say that at the very beginning that that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to just pawn everything off and say, well, your parents sucked and that's why you're having a hard time. End of story. Not the goal. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, that even just brings to mind, like, whether it's parents or any significant person in our life, those primary caregivers, Oftentimes the intention, good intention could be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe even if the intention, right intention isn't there, uh, those experiences get minimized by saying, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or it was normal. That's just how things were It was everyday life. And that's how everyone around me was raised or... Um, Everybody got beat with a belt when we were kids. Right. That's just what happened yeah. in the you know that generation. And yes. that's true, but that doesn't mean that that was not damaging in some way. Right. Yeah. And so even being able to look back at some of those past experiences related to family or not, but look at them from an objective standpoint that says I don't have to protect or defend against it, mm-hmm. but I also don't have to judge it and, and judge the people who are involved. Right. Right. But I can look back and say, what impact could that have possibly had mm-hmm. on my development, mm-hmm. on my feelings, on my perception of the world, on my perception of myself? And on my body. Yes. Just on my, yeah. my nervous system and the development of you know, my brain and all of that really important hard wiring that is being formed when we're that small. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think weighs heavy when we're talking about the impact of things in the past is if you're a parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I say oh, this because yes. it weighs heavy on me, me as I'm too. constantly looking at what are the choices I'm making in parenting and the flaws and the failures and the mistakes that I make, yeah. what impact does that have? Yes. And it weighs so heavy. So I think that alone can keep people from wanting to put too much weight right. on right. that. Um, we want to protect the way our parents raised us because we may be raising our kids the same way mm-hmm. or struggling in similar ways. And so right. that's too hard to look at that piece. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's so true, Jen, that and yeah referencing that same session that came up immediately after yeah. I think that's a really kind of natural um, progression of our thinking and our feeling about this and just as a parent I think one of the things that we can go back to I don't know that everybody else does this but I go back to the research which says mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the majority of, of families have good enough parenting and uh, I, I I don't know necessarily that I agree that good enough is as good as it gets and therefore we should not strive for better. Right. But I think at the same time, I got to remember that no child comes out perfectly unscathed. That's not mm-hmm. the point. We're not preparing our kids to live in a world where there's no uh, challenge to relationships. That would be damaging. It would. It absolutely would. Yeah. Um, and all the research says it's actually more damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so going through that process of struggling as a parent, maybe having a rupture and a challenge in our relationship and our connection and our attachment with our kid, but then learning how to come back around and repair that with them 
is giving them skills that are so much more useful than having the perfect childhood where nothing ever went wrong and everything was cushy and easy. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if you've noticed, the world is a little challenging at the moment. (laughs) So our number one job as parents is to prepare our kids for that challenge. And so that's how I comfort myself at night. How about you? (laughs) I gave them a good practice. That's right. I mean, that's just me being honest. Uh huh. That's that's true. Very relatable. <laughs> oh. So uh, something that we wanted to share with you guys is what Jen and I share with clients about this. And there's a a theory called adaptive information processing. That's not important that you know those words. Um, but there's been a lot of research on this, and so we just kind of wanted to share with you guys how we talk to our clients about this to help them understand why when we begin therapy that we do start talking more about those formative early childhood experiences and the impact they had. So Jen, can you kind of walk us through like, how do you share that with clients? Yeah. So there's a a lot of different ways we can explain this. And I always like to use metaphors or, or something that connects it. But in general, the adaptive information processing model is a mouthful of words Mm -hmm. that in general means the way our brain is structured um, and the way we store life experiences have an effect on how we present today. So when we go through something in life, um, our system is going to take in pieces of that experiences. We may store that memory with images, um, beliefs about ourselves, with the world around us, like a cognitive understanding of things. We're going to store it with an emotional response. And we're going to store it with a body base, like a physical sensation, a body experience. So if there's a typical everyday life experience, like I go to the grocery store, pick up my groceries and go home, my brain and my system is going to take in all of that information from that experience, process it through, and only hold on to what it needs. So if there's nothing really important for it to hold on to, it's going to let it all go. And I probably won't recall that specific grocery store experience mm-hmm. six months to a year later. It won't even really It doesn't get moved it. into long-term memory. Right. Yeah. It's, there's nothing significant there. But if in that same example, I go to the grocery store... And while I'm in there, tornado sirens go off. Mm-hmm. And they shut the doors and then tell people they can't leave because there's a t- tornado outside. My system is going to register that very, very differently. And as a way to protect me from future potential things, um, risks and threats, my brain is going to hold on to images that represent that. Beliefs, maybe a belief of I'm not safe, something bad's going to happen. Um, emotions like fear. Um, anxiety, various emotions, and then body sensation. So my heart might start racing or tension in my shoulders and my neck. And it's going to store that experience with all of those pieces Mm -hmm. so that then the next time I go to the grocery store, it's going to send me this alarm. Well, wait a minute. Remember these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's going to have an impact and kind of start to shape the way my body, my nervous system responds um, to similar stimuli or threat or potential threat. Right. So with that being said, it may be years and years later before I would um, engage or interact with something that would bring that same information back up. Now, given I go to the grocery store all the time, that might not work in that example. But mm-hmm. if someone um, was bullied in school 
Uh, it may be 30 years later that something happens in a work and office setting that brings up and activates those similar things of I'm not enough, I'm not likable, images of being alone and isolated, you know, a body sensation of your heart racing or feeling kind of your shoulders rolling forward and feeling closed down. So bring those back up, which is what our symptoms are in the present. Yeah. So we look at, with this model, we look at the, whatever our symptoms are, there are roots from the past somewhere where that was initially created. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to recognize those and begin to address and, and process those in a more adaptive way so that that past experience can now be stored with more adaptive information, something that's not as activating and disruptive to our nervous systems. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I think that's a beautiful explanation. And it also kind of points to this really tricky thing about previous experience where our brain and our bodies are very sensitive to how much we're exposed to something. So in that example of tornado at the grocery store, what is likely to happen for most people in that scenario is that the first few times that you go back to the grocery store after the tornado, you're going to have a physiological reaction. But you go because you're looking at the sky and you can logically tell yourself, there is no threat of tornado. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in and I'm going to be okay. And this may happen entirely unconsciously or subconsciously, or it may even be a conscious uh, conversation that you're having with yourself. Either way, what happens is I go into Walmart, I do my thing, there's no tornado, everything goes fine, and I leave and my body now files that as, oh, well this time I was fine. And because I've had so many experiences previously that said tornadoes don't always happen every time I go to the store, and then I start to have more experiences after the fact that pile on to that same uh, story, now I can feel my body starts to really connect with this idea that that one experience was an outlier. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to panic every time I go to the store. And this is what happens in our system which allows people to process trauma naturally Mm -hmm. and move through a hard experience and not have any long-term symptomology on the other hand let's say that the trauma that i experienced was something like i have a parent that is very verbally aggressive with me and this happens all the time every day or every weekend when they're drinking or whatever the pattern is The problem with that is that the evidence file gets so big and thick that it's going to take a very long time for life to naturally give me enough experiences to counterbalance that. In fact, because those early years are so formative, even our adult experiences have a hard time really making a dent in that evidence file, right? So our brain and our body keep saying, no, 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 no. If somebody says they love you, you can't really trust them. Right. This is the pattern. I have so much evidence to support this. Nothing that I experience now is going to change my mind about that. And that is actually where we tend to see people in therapy most often. And in fact, we'll almost look for the evidence, mm-hmm. subconsciously seek out evidence that supports yes. that file that we've been keeping yeah. throughout all of these years. Yes. So we'll seek out relationships. Um, or self-sabotage within those relationships. Because that's the pattern that we know. Yeah. Right? Or or a healthy relationship will come and we'll kind of write it off and discard mm-hmm. it. But then when something unhealthy comes in, we hold really? on to it as if it's true. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. 
Um, and, you know, my own story and so many people that I've, you know, talked to includes this like really frustrating thing where if that has been our early childhood experience of what love and affection is all about, our wires get crossed and now we think that love and infection has to include high amounts of criticism. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody shows up in my life and says they love me, but they're like really nice all the time, my reaction to that might be, well, clearly you don't actually Mm -hmm. care that much. Mm -hmm. If you really cared, we would be fighting way more than this. (laughs) There would be, you know, a lot of tension and a lot of drama because that's what it means to really love somebody. You care enough to fight with them. What? Right? Where, yeah. where does that come from? Oh, it comes from all of these years of living with somebody that on one hand, I have the most intimate, connected, loving relationship with, but also it includes this high amount of stress and uh, trauma um, and really, you know, abuse. So that's one of the patterns that we carry into adulthood. And so you can see how we're not necessarily looking at the past in order to get mad at that person for screwing us up. Now, that may happen. That is sometimes part of the healing journey, (laughs) and that is totally okay. Um, But it's more about understanding, oh, that's what I believe, not just logically and intellectually, but my body believes that I cannot really be safe in relationships. Mm-hmm. That in order to be loved, I have to also allow abuse or whatever the story is that, that taught us. And so a big part of therapy is looking at those past experiences to understand how did this build me? How does this shape me into the human that I am today? And do I want to try to deconstruct and reconstruct some of those patterns in my system? Yeah. It can even be disguised. Like it, mm-hmm. it can be hard to detect and find in our past. Um, an example is coming to mind, just kind of building off the grocery store. But if, let's say, in Melissa's example, um, an alcoholic parent created that same, we're going to call it a filing folder, evidence of... I'm not safe, something bad's going to happen because mm-hmm. their, as their parent becomes too intoxicated by the end of the night, they become angry. And as a kid, they can't leave. They're right. stuck. They're trapped in that situation. They just have to hunker down and hope for the best, right? right. So there's a belief that I'm not safe, something bad's going to happen. There's emotion of fear, anxiety, feeling trapped, and there's these sensations in their body. Into adulthood, there may be enough natural processing that's happened. They've said, I'm an adult now. I am safe. I could mm-hmm. stand up for myself. I can mm-hmm. leave. I could protect myself. I'm okay. But then something like a tornado in a grocery store right. happens or, you know, a partner who raises their voice and or drinks too much one night. Mm. We can actually separate from those old past networks in our, in our memories and something new can come up in adulthood that reconnect them. Yes. That now that's, wait a minute, maybe I'm not safe as mm-hmm. an adult. These bad things can keep happening. Yes. So now I have fear, I have anxiety, and it's all coming back up. And I see a lot of clients come in, and we're looking at this one isolated thing like, oh, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. One example, I had a, a, a client tell me, my wife just told me the story of, you know, a dating experience that she had, and it has triggered me so bad. 
but I'm overreacting. I know right. I'm freaking out, and I don't know why. Right. I'm, this shouldn't matter as much. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. opened up this box of stuff that this individual had had from the past um, that hadn't gotten fully processed and worked right. through. And right. so when we can shift our focus from being, oh, there's this one thing in adulthood or these symptoms I need to just manage better right. into where did all of this come from? What are the deepest roots of this? Mm-hmm. And start restructuring the way that is stored. Right. That's when we see big change happen. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the shifts that you know we're always looking for in therapy um, that is really healthy and healing is this shift towards deep self-compassion for the way that we had to survive when we were young. Because all of these things that we're describing, they're not bad reactions. They are perfect reactions to really, really challenging situations. And as a kid, and because of the culture that we live in, we have this general attitude where we kind of bully ourselves into not feeling and not doing these things that we categorize as bad. And we, we manage all of that, you know, all those sensations that Jen is talking about, all of those reactions, we manage them with our adult intellectual brain and kind of bully ourselves and say, I shouldn't feel that way. I'm overreacting, mm-hmm. knock it off, you know, toughen up, whatever it is that we kind of say to ourselves to convince ourselves to calm down um, about whatever's going on. And sometimes that works, but it, it's always temporary. It's basically shoving something back into the box, but not really processing it and helping it release from our nervous system. Like actually, when we say release from our nervous system, we need, mean it creates a biological change. Um, in the way that our uh, hardwiring is in our brain, in the rest of our nervous system, the way that our genes are expressed. We're talking about real physiological, biological change when we're actually able to release something from our system. And so this kind of intellectual bullying that we do to ourselves does not allow for that kind of processing and real release to happen. It just shoves it all back down and we go on about our life until the next time that it pops up and we're going to have to expend all of that energy and time to manage it again and push it back into the box. So therapy is about coming to that box of stuff and with a helper and a guide, really compassionately unpacking it and in a safe environment looking at these things and saying, huh, this is a bigger deal than I've been giving myself permission to feel. And what would it mean if I right now let myself feel all the feelings about it that I could not feel back then? Not that I didn't let myself, but it wasn't safe enough to really feel everything that I needed to feel or do everything that I needed to do back then. This was the best choice at the time, but today as an adult, I can attend to these things and really unpack all of the stuff that I've been carrying around with me. And when we're able to do that in therapy, our system starts to heal and really release and we get those big changes that we're looking for. Our reactions to ourselves and our own experiences often mimic the invalidating responses we got from others. Yes. So when in childhood, when life experiences happen that are really overwhelming or too much to process, the most damaging part of it is the way the the caretakers in our lives respond to that experience. Mm -hmm. That's what helps as a kiddo determine how do I make sense of this how do I process it and so it's when it's invalidated it's ignored it's um, minimized that that 
the the trauma aspect of that experience lingers. Right. And as Melissa was saying, it kind of shoves it down and pushes it in a box, which leaves it to come out later in life. Mm -hmm. So if we are mimicking the same invalidating experience, we're going to continue with the same pattern Mm -hmm. of pushing those symptoms, those feelings down, and not getting to process them. I will oftentimes ask clients, when you went through that at seven years old, what do you wish someone had said or done for you? And they'll say something like, just listen to me. I just needed a hug. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Just tell me I'm with you. It's going to, we're going to make it through this. Not even some magical, miraculous thing, but just be with me. Yeah. This is so hard. Yes. I'm so sorry. This was such a rough day. Like just simple empathy, connection. I see you and it's okay for you to feel what you feel. Yeah. That or stand up and protect me from yes. it those yeah. are the two things and so then I'll ask them and in what ways are you doing those things for yourself now mm-hmm. because they're usually doing the opposite they're not even just invalidating they're truly bullying and abusing themselves with yes. the words in their own mind yes. and then they're repeating the pattern and not protecting themselves and not protecting yes. themselves yeah. and yeah. so looking at how now you as the adult to this little kiddo inside of you who's mm-hmm. still hurting from that mm-hmm. What do we do there so that the adult you can step in and validate and connect with that experience and protect you from going through it again? Yes. Yeah. And that, when we start making those kinds of shifts, where we begin to recognize and desire um, a way to be our own ideal parent, yes. that's that's where the magic happens. Yep. And then we find ourselves, you know, saying things that we never thought we could say, standing up for ourselves in a way that we never thought we would. Um, loving in a way that we didn't know we were capable of, you know, being more open-hearted because we are being open-hearted to ourself, right? Actually allowing emotional expression and connection and all of those things. Um, And so, so many times over and over, we watch people have these spontaneous behavioral shifts and they come in and say, I can't believe it, but I X, Y, Z. And it's because of this shift that we're talking about. So it's not about, you know, forcing myself to behave differently. It's that behaviors naturally begin to change when we really address the root of the matter. And the kind of therapy that Jen and I do and the kind that we always recommend is the kind of therapy that gets to the root and isn't just managing the symptoms on top because you'll be doing that the rest of your life. One other way to look at the question of will I have to talk about what happened um, so I want to, this is brief, but want to make sure we address this, is sometimes there's the question of, okay, I can acknowledge that where it comes from, but how much detail do I really have yes. to give? Or if there's this really, really shameful experience, do I have to tell you about mm-hmm. that? Like, do I have mm-hmm. to talk about it and tell you all the details because that feels too shameful for me to do them, too embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and really practically, I've had some clients that have asked like, hey, if I talk about this, are you going to have to like turn me in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like right. that's, that's reality. And so, um, you know, when, when they ask that, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and even the answer of, do I have to talk about it? In so many cases, I won't say 100%, but in so many cases, the answer again is no. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of work that can happen where you don't have to reshame yourself right. or divulge something that feels unsafe to your system That's to right. talk about. That's right. Because that can feel traumatic in and Absolutely. of itself. Yeah. Um, and there can be healthy aspects to being able to share it with someone and then getting to see their response mm-hmm. is nothing but accepting and supportive of you. Mm-hmm. But if that's not where you're at and you're not ready for that yet, 
um, the type of therapy we practice, and not everyone practices this, but I don't have to know it. Right. My brain actually isn't the one healing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's your system. It's your brain, and I'm there to support and guide it. So as long as I have just enough information to know how to support and guide you in that, yeah. then I don't need all the details. And there's a lot of the pieces of the story that you could hold to your into yourself as long as you're able to acknowledge them within your own system and apply what we're working on to yeah. that then no you don't have to talk about what happened and you don't have to give all the details so I think that's a unique thing mm-hmm. to people in therapy yes. um, and the idea of I could go see a therapist and we could work on something without having to walk step by step through the entire story yes. and let you know everything yeah and you know you guys might be wondering well how do you work on it if you don't talk about it and there are actually a lot of ways to do that Um, the kinds of therapies that Jen and I do are sort of uniquely suited to that but even even if you're not using those specific therapies if I have a client that you know feels like they can't say some things out loud or they don't feel safe enough or ready enough we will work with symbolism Mm -hmm. and create a symbolic representation um, that allows them to access the, the physiological sensations and reactions that go with what we're working on without them ever having to speak the details of the real story. Um, and it absolutely works. Yep, it the, the brain and the body doesn't care um, whether it's symbolic because it knows what we're working on. Yeah. Um, there's even some therapies where... The, the instruction is to not focus on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with the right kind of support and intervention, the brain will still process it. So if, if, you know, one of the things that has been stopping you or hindering you from going into therapy is this fear of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to say these things out loud. And, uh, you know, just the fear of what's that going to do? How's the other person going to respond? I don't want anybody on this entire planet to know any of this. Um, just know that it doesn't have to go that way. Yeah. It really, really doesn't. And it does not hinder the possibility of healing. Mm-hmm. That seems like a really nice point to wrap up on. <laughs> yes, it does. Very it? encouraging. <laughs> As we kind of wrap up here, I want to mention a resource that we have. If any of you guys are looking for some support, some mental health support, Um, before getting into counseling or maybe you've already started therapy and it's something you would like to be able to carry that work over into your home we have created a little mini course called the mental health first aid kit and you can get to it on our website if you go to www.beyondhealingcenter.com and click on the courses tab there'll be a link there um, mental health first aid kit that you can go on and kind of read a little bit about it and it's a course that you can purchase that walks you through a day-to-day step-by-step exercise that's really focused in mindfulness Um, and so there's a pause a check-in a balance um, three phases that you go through and there's multiple exercises within each one of those Mm -hmm. where we have actually guided you through the exercise with audio recordings videos you get to Um, see our faces yes (laughs) worksheets there's so many great tools and techniques and skills in there that just help bring a sense of pause, check-in, and balance to your day-to-day to really um, regulate mental health and to kind of continue with the work that you're doing in therapy or that you want to do in therapy. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, again, it's at our website, www.beyondhealingcenter.com. Click on Courses, and it's Mental Health First Aid Kit. Mm-hmm. 
We are looking forward to our next episode with you guys. Thank you all for tuning in and for the support that you give us. We enjoy doing this um, and would love to hear from you guys if you want to write in or email us. That would be amazing. Safe journeys, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.